are listening to Shining Star Community Church English Ministry Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. All right. So again, good afternoon, everyone. Wonderful. Um, thank you, Andy, for so much for reading. Actually, the entire passage is on the entire chapter. And so if you notice, these past few weeks, we've been doing that, but we've been only reading a few verses. And if you kind of look here, there are a whole lot of names, a whole lot of names. And I think, I think maybe some of us have gotten used to that. And I think it's a difficult passage somewhat, too. It's kind of difficult in that it's hard to find the relevance in this, but we believe that there is relevance here in this chapter, amen? Because we believe that it's the very Word of God, amen? We believe it's the Word of God, and so it's proved to be profitable for all of us. And having said that, let's go ahead and take this afternoon to hear the Word of the Lord and what it has to say concerning this passage and, and for our lives. And so today, I want to make only one point, but you know me, there are many points within that one point. <laughs> one truth, though, but many truths underneath that as well. The point is this. God's plan takes precedence over our plans. We got one faithful sister right there. God's plan takes precedence over our plans. And in this specific case here, God has to write, hear me out, okay? Now, just take a deep breath. Take a deep breath. Are you, are, you, are you ready to get challenged by the word of God? Take a deep breath. I'm telling you, I had to take a deep breath. I was like, is this really what you're saying, God? Here it is. God's plan takes precedence over our plans, and in this case in particular, with Nehemiah's situation, the people of this time, God has a right to determine where we live. You okay? No one's leaving. This is amazing. Now, before you jump to any conclusions, hear me out. When my wife and I were looking for a place to live long ago, we, uh, we talked to realtors we read every article. We watched HGTV. Um, we did everything we could. We talked to people who just recently bought a house to get their advice and their input. And they would always say the same thing, right? The most important thing when looking for a house is location, 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 location. Now, this isn't saying that's not the most important thing in terms of just buying a house. But here's the thing. It actually sums up what most people in America, at least, are all about in terms of our personal agenda. For instance, hear me out, when people, we all try to work hard and make sacrifices and make money to buy the right house. But what makes it the right house? What makes it the right house? It's if it's in the right town, in the right neighborhood, next to the right people, so that our kids can go to the right schools, so that they can, so that they can get the right education, so they, too, can get the right jobs and afford to buy the right house in the right town, the right, na right neighborhood, next to the right people. And it just keeps going on and on. Life is pretty simple, isn't it? It's kind of boring if you think about it. But let's think about Nehemiah right now, okay? Just a quick recap. The walls of Jerusalem had been in ruin for years after the people of Israel returned from Babylon to their homeland. So in the earlier chapters of Nehemiah, Nehemiah rallied the people, let's rebuild. Let's bring this place back for the glory of God. And as they're rebuilding, they face a whole lot of opposition. People saying, you can't do it. People mocking them, saying, you know, people, people were even attacking them in the process. But the people of God, they stood firm. They kept going. And once the wall was done, the people read the law of God. And they realized, man, we have strayed way, way, way left. 
We have fallen away from the word of God. And so they decided we need to obey the word of God. And so there's this renewal, this spiritual revival that's been going on in that town in the hearts and lives of the people. And so they all start coming back to the word of God because they've been so absent. They've been so removed from the word of God. They're saying we need some truth now. We need something else besides our words. We need the word of God. And so for the past few chapters, that's been the subject, the word of God or renewal. So now it seems that it would make sense because all the festivals are done, right? The, the Feast of the Tabernacle, the, the walls are built up. The people, they should, they should now just pack up, go home, settle down somewhere, and live. And interestingly, the renewal that we're talking about here, it wasn't all done. Because back in chapter 7, Nehemiah, he also mentioned, he said there are a few people in Jerusalem. And these people, you know who they were? They were the committed type. The ones who are committed to obedience and they realize something. They said, you know what? God is not just saying, I have to be here. He's not saying that some people need to be here in Jerusalem. No, he's saying, God's saying this. God's saying that everyone needs to commit to the word of God. Everyone needs to be here. Not just a handful of people. Not just the select committed type or the select obedient type. No, everyone. So this is what they're realizing here. Everyone needs to commit to the word of God and to his temple. Now, there are some reasons why people said, uh-uh, I am not staying here in Jerusalem. The place was the center of controversy. It was a rebellious city. It was loose. And also, it was the financial capital of that region. So guess what? If someone was going to attack any place, it's the place where the money's at. So there was a huge vulnerability aspect to that place. But more than that, it was just hard to maintain that city and that temple. It would, use, it would require a lot of hard work, a lot of dedicated hands to stay there and remain there and help build and, and fix that place. Jerusalem, although fixed in many ways, was still a broken down, horrible place to live. People didn't want to move there for the same reason why most people don't want to move to Detroit. And I'm not trying to be offensive here. Because right now, people are doing all they can to fix up that city, Detroit. But it's still a broken down city, isn't it? Little to offer in terms of jobs, security, education, overall stability. Jerusalem was like that. These people in the book of Nehemiah, they came back from exile to live at the homes they chose, to make a living that they chose, not to live and work in Jerusalem. I'm not going to go back there. Are you kidding me? There's nothing there for me. And what's sad is this. Jerusalem, it used to be the hubbub. It used to be the center of all this amazing activity for the people of God. But now, what is it? It's this undesirable location in which to live. You know, I remember when I was little, there was this little children's rhyme. You, you, you probably have seen it or heard it too. The original goes like this. Let me try to figure this out. Okay. Here we go. Here's the church. Should I show you? Here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the door. And here's all the people, right? And we all go, yay, right? <laughs> but being the morbid and little rebellious kid that I was, I would say, no, I don't want to do it that way. Here's the church, here's the steeple, open the door, and here's all the dead people. <laughs> yeah, that guy became a pastor. I suppose it would be more appropriate in this case to say, there's no people. In this case, there was no one. God wants people at his temple. 
So in this chapter, we read of the leaders of Israel coming up with ways in which they could populate the city. Some ways were implementing the old tithing principle to the people, you know, get the money going, get the economy going. Also, one out of every ten families chosen by lot to move permanently into the city. And what's really cool about this in verse 2 is that these families, they voluntarily complied. They're like, no, I'll go. Now, without having to go through all the families listed here and the sheer number of people that were going in and out of Jerusalem, a total of 3,044 families ended up committing to living out God's word and submitting to the resettlement from their country homes, their ancestral villages into the city of Jerusalem. And I can't think of any reason why anyone would do that aside from the fact that they want to obey the word of God. They were all serving they all had a job to do in the city. They were all functioning in a way that built back the temple, the city, and the life that was once there. They trusted in God. That was ultimately it. They just trusted God. They trusted God in this relocation. They trusted in the word of God as their chief authority. Now, I'm sure this might make people feel a bit uncomfortable. I mean, some of you guys have had issues with the whole membership thing. Now you're hearing your pastor talk about relocating closer to church. I'm not crazy. I promise. But here's what's interesting. As a leader, I am not saying this. Likewise, Nehemiah as a leader, he wasn't in charge of this. He was not the one coming up with this plan. It was the people. The people were saying, we have to come back. The people. They're the ones that read the word of God. They're the ones who acted upon the word of God. They're the ones who said, we can no longer neglect the house of the Lord. They were the ones. It wasn't me. It wasn't Nehemiah. It wasn't their leaders. It was the people. They moved because God said move. Let's think about this from a broader biblical point. Remember in Genesis 12, 1, God said to Abraham, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. See, God, he's always telling us to go. Then Genesis 26, 2, when Isaac wanted to move because of the famine, God said, don't go to Egypt. You live in the land where I tell you to live. Then later in Exodus 2, 21, after Moses had fled Egypt for his life, we read that Moses was content to dwell in the land of Midian. Like he was comfortable. There he had taken a wife, Zipporah. But in the next chapter, Exodus 3, 10, God says, Moses, it's over. Go. Go to Pharaoh. Bring back my people to Israel. It's out of Egypt. In Jeremiah 1.7, God told Jeremiah, Do not say I'm only a child. You must go to everyone I send you to and say whatever I command you. And when Isaiah saw the glory of the Lord, experienced his cleansing, his response in chapter 6 of Isaiah was this, Here, I, here am I, send me. Then in New Testament, when Jesus calls disciples to follow him, he warned them about the living conditions in Luke 9. Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay and rest his head. In the Great Commission, Jesus commands simply, he says, go, this imperative, go into the whole world and preach the gospel. And when the people did not go, God used persecution to scatter them. We read in Acts 8, all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Then years later in Acts 13, when the church in Antioch were, was doing nicely and they were growing, they had a staff of five ministers, God said to the church, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work for which I have called them. In other words, God is saying separate two out of your five ministers to send out into the mission field. So Paul and Barnabas, the two of their best ones, were chosen and sent. And here's the thing, people. We are here for the glory of God, for the purposes of God. 
We are put in this world for the glory of God. And you know what? Our, may our next breath be for the praise of God. Our mission, our vision statement for our EM is to know and enjoy God. If you understand that we are here for God and by God, then you'll know that this place, this world, Virginia, Northern Virginia, America, this world is not our home. This world is temporary. You don't have to be a believer to know that. Everything's ending. Everything's closing down. Everything is just dying, rotting, decaying. The world is temporary. Our lives are like a vapor. It's transient. God's people are aliens as in foreigners in this world because our home of permanence is in the new Jerusalem, heaven. That's our home. Don't get too comfortable here. It is for this reason we must submit to God's leading. We're not here just to eat, play, work, and sleep. Eat, play, work, and sleep. What are, what are we, animals, hamsters? Animals do that. You are made for a purpose. Purpose. You're not here by accident. Turn to your neighbor and say this. You're here for a purpose. And that purpose can only be revealed by the purpose giver. And he has revealed it in his word to us. The limited and finite capability we have in knowing God, he has given us enough to know that there's more to life than the American dream. And this chapter makes it clear that God, he doesn't just move people in arbitrary ways. He moves us strategically, purposefully, divinely orchestrates everything. Here are some ways in which God is moving us right now. And perhaps this is something that we need to think about, consider as we pray. Say, Lord, how are you moving my life? What do you want me to do? First is this. God calls people to the mission field, both domestic and abroad. I remember when I was in DTS, which is a missional training organization, our class had four places that we had to pray and commit to for the next three months and where we would serve. It was Fiji, uh, Philippines, New Zealand, and Cambodia. And without hesitation, I said, Fiji! Clear blue water, white sand, Coconuts, pineapples, whatever tropical place fruit there is. And not to mention, I love Fijian water. And I said, oh, I want that. If I can't go there, Lord, yeah, this is me telling God what to do now. I said, I want to go to Middle Earth, New Zealand. I really want to see the Shire. <laughs> I really want to see the Shire. You see, here's the whole point, though. I didn't want to suffer. Yeah, I went to be trained as a missionary, to go as a missionary, and I didn't want to suffer. I didn't want to step out of my comfort zone. I knew that New Zealand was a developed country. I knew that Fiji was a beautiful paradise. I know there are like bad parts and good parts and so on and so forth. Well, here's the thing. I, I called my dad and I said, Dad, can you, can you pray for me? And I said, what should I do? And he said this, Dave. He said, David, pray and let God lead you. I'm like, well, yeah. And he says, and you'll notice this, David, in your prayers. Oftentimes, God will lead you to a place that's challenging, a place that will be difficult, a place where there will be opposition, a place where you'll really, 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 really depend on God. So I pray, thinking, well, God, I'm sure I'll need you in New Zealand. That's why we're going, right? There's a submission field there. God, I'm sure the poor Fijian people, Lord, they, they need you. Send me there. But God, he placed, for some reason, a burning passion in my heart for Cambodia. And I was like, no! Not Cambodia. I've done my research. 
I've seen Google Images. It's a third world country. Yeah, by our standards, it's dirty. And not only that, when I go there, it'll be monsoon season. Just rain. I hate rain. It's rain, rain, rain. And it's just so spiritually dark there. Not to mention, I know the mission home that we'll be staying in. No hot water. Ah, as if. But Cambodia is where I went. And let me say this. When I went there, I grew. It was there I grew more than I've grown anywhere else here in this world. I grew. That was where I learned to utterly and completely trust in God because though I had a missions team with me, they were doing their own thing. I was doing my own thing. But here, here it was. All I had was the word of God to lead me. And I grew so much. You see, when it comes to missions, and maybe God's talking to you about that in terms of location, there's only one thing we need to say. Here I am, send me, Lord. I am willing, show me what and where. That's what Isaiah said. Secondly, God is calling us to move closer to our home church. Now let me say this. We have a dear sister who had a very specific prayer these past few months, and that was, Lord, give me a job near Shining Star Community Church so I can move closer to Shining Star so that I may serve more at Shining Star. I don't want to embarrass her. I'm not going to. But she's got that job in Tyson's Corner area and has recently moved across the street from here, right next to Pocky and, and his family. Yeah, I'm not going to tell you who. There's much work to be done here, brothers and sisters. I'll be honest with you. Like the spiritual field out there, the workers are few. Commitment to the word of God must be a commitment to where the word of God is being preached. Is this your church or is this a church? Is this your family here or is this a foster home that you can go from one to another? Do you own this place or are you renting? Where if uh, an issue comes up, you'll just call the maintenance to come clean up your mess. I'm a homeowner now. I am tiptoeing around my house. Making sure I don't <laughs> scrape the wall or anything. If you are far, your availability will be limited. That's just simple fact. God wants you up here close and personal. Now, I'm not saying those of you who live in Centerville, you have to come closer. I understand the, the, I understand, um, the real estate in this area and stuff like that. But I'm talking about there are some people here, not here maybe, who purposely go farther away to remove themselves from church, to remove themselves from accountability, to remove themselves. Thirdly and lastly, what if God gives you everything you could ever ask for? You're not living in the projects of some impoverished country or nation. Maybe God calls you to live here in, in Nova, where it's one of the most affluent areas, where you'll be surrounded by affluent people. Maybe you live in a, you'll live in a big house and not a shack. Maybe you'll drive a fancy car and not use the public transportation. Maybe you'll live in relative comfort here. What then is God asking of you? And that is this, the same thing. He is asking for a radical call to discipleship. Does not matter where you are. Doesn't matter how you live. A radical call to discipleship, no one exempt, not even the president of the United States to a local pastor like me, are we exempt from Jesus' radical call to discipleship. You see, it comes down to discipleship. Obedience in discipleship, because when you are truly a disciple of Christ, it does not matter where you go, when you go, how you go, and what you do, it only matters that you obey. 
The Word of God stands firm in this position. However, there is indeed, I believe, a spiritual benefit in living close to church. Like, again, I'm not saying you got to live across the street from here, but if you live where the struggle of commute becomes a factor in serving and attending church, then perhaps we need to prioritize things. Ultimately, however, this is a call to obey the Word of God through discipleship. I remember reading a pastor's blog this week, and he had encountered an individual who complained. He said, Pastor, I'm not growing. I don't think this church is the right fit for me. I'm not growing. I'm not, I'm just, I'm not making it. And, and so, no disrespect to you. you. You speak fine. The praise is fine. But you know what? I, I feel compelled by the Lord to leave this church. And so this pastor simply, albeit a bit passive-aggressively, said this. He says, hmm, I understand. Can you tell me how I can improve our Tuesday night men's group and our Wednesday night Bible study group and our Friday night prayer group and our Saturday morning breakfast prayer group and our Sunday services? You see, this guy, aside from the Sunday service that he attends, hasn't gone to a single one. These classes and these programs are aimed to spiritually strengthen the lives of the members. You see? So by the grace of God, this man humbly and faithfully got the clue. Here's the thing, guys. I think the main and only reason why we don't grow is not because God has made himself unavailable, but that we have. Does that make sense? We have. And so I urge and challenge you all to imitate the example of Christ. He voluntarily left the glory of heaven to dwell on earth in the midst of people like you and me. He took on himself the role of a servant. He is God, King of kings, Lord of lords, the Prince of peace, comes here and takes the likeness of man and in obedience to the Father goes all the way to the cross where he dies to accomplish redemption. And so today... God, through Jesus Christ, those of you who profess in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he claims us. And he calls us to forego the comforts of home. He calls us to live and work in places that we might not choose. He calls in the midst of people that we might, that for us to live in places that we might not like or to live in the midst of people we might not like and to function as his servants and the servants of those to whom he calls us. People, confessing Jesus as Lord involves a life-encompassing obedience, a total surrender of all wills, all plans, all desires, and all preferences, allowing God to determine what we do and where we do it. That is being a true disciple of Christ. Amen? Bow with me. Gracious God, we thank you for your infinite love and your amazing faithfulness. Then your greatness that you would call upon people like us, individuals like us who, even in the eyes of fellow man, are deemed insignificant and unworthy. Just even thinking about during my world backpacking, I was dirty and dressed 
inappropriately because I was traveling, and yet when I wanted to go inside a hotel to see if they had a room available for me, the man literally looked me up and down and said, we don't have room for you. <laughs> that even fellow man is so willingly and impulsively reject another man. And yet here you are, Father, in your perfection and in your holiness, and you say, I choose you. I accept you. I embrace you. I love you. Come home. Come home to me. This world is not your home. These people are not your people. I'm your God. And where I dwell is where you will dwell. But how can we come to an infinite and perfect, blameless, righteous God? How can someone with sins like mine, with a past like mine, ever come before a holy throne? We can't. But Jesus, again, because of his love and his obedience, went down in obedience to the cross, the cross where it had our name. And that punishment for the wages of sin is death, and you know, that sins, all the sins that we have, someone has to pay for it. There's got to be punishment for every crime. It's either going to be your life or his. And Jesus says, it'll be mine. I'll take it. I'll do it. So he takes it from us, dies for us, frees us, and bridges us back to the Father. This is why we worship Jesus. Because he is God. Because he made a way to God. Brothers and sisters, the Lordship of Christ, it demands commitment. Commitment to his word. If you truly trust in what he says, that he is the savior of the world, and that he did all this for you, then you must trust in the words that he has revealed in scripture. It's not either or. It's very much black and white. And in this case, the Lord is saying, commit to this church. Commit to the family of God. Commit to the headship of Christ. You have a very individual, specific talent and ability that you can use to contribute and grow and help expand and advance the kingdom of God. It can only be done if you commit. I want to give you guys an opportunity just to pray a simple prayer to the Lord and, and you determine, you value your heart and you see where you're at with God. Are we, are we still living a life of obedience or do you still, you're still find yourself picking and choosing things that you want to accept and, and reject? The call right now is not just about moving closer to church. It's a call to become a radical disciple of Christ. Let's pray.